0: Great to see everybody. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you. Nice looking folks. And it's great to be at Life Center. I want to echo what Pastor Scott said, but in reverse, it's great to be here finally. And thanks for the invitation to come and be a part of your Sunday morning gathering. I am very glad to have my wife and my children with me. Uh, Brenda, we have been married 23 years, and she's a very patient woman, and I appreciate that very much. But she's my she's just my rock, and I appreciate her so very much. And my daughters, Allie, Michaela. Allie is 18 this coming Tuesday. That's exciting. So we'll be celebrating big time in Lutherville at our home. And then my daughter Michaela, she's 15. They go to Towson High School, and uh, we're just thrilled to be here today. Thanks for the invitation. It's good to be in the presence of God today. It really is. I I, I never I never want to take that for granted. I don't think you do either, but. The fact is we're together, and we're together in the presence of Jesus, and that's a beautiful thing. I want to also thank the worship team for a great job, and especially the the kids that were singing the VBS song. Didn't they do an awesome job? Come on, everybody. That's awesome. I appreciate them very, very much. There's a lot of moving parts that make a Sunday what it is, and so many people working hard to put it together today, and I want you to know that that is recognized and appreciated very, very much. Um, If you have a copy of the Bible, maybe you brought a Bible with you, if you did, great. If you have a tablet or a phone or something with a Bible app on it, I'm going to encourage you to pick that up. And I want you to meet me in the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians may be new to some of us. If you're like some people and they're like, I don't know what that means. Where is that? What does that mean? Galatians is all the way near the very end of the Bible, and if you would, tap over or turn over to Galatians chapter 6, because I'm going to mention a few verses from Galatians that I think might be helpful for you to look at if you have that capability. Um, Galatians chapter 6, we'll reference verse 9 here in just a second as we conclude our series today. Now, before I get to Galatians, how many of you remember when you were 12 years old? Do you recall that? First of all, are there any 12-year-old kids here today? You're 12. You're exactly 12. Anybody? 13? 11? Okay, good. Yeah, we have the neighborhood right there. Very good. Uh, Some of us remember what it was like to be a 12 or 13-year-old. I do. And specifically, I remember something unique that I did as a part of my family when I was 12 years old. Uh, the summer—it was this time of the summer—and as a twelve-year-old, my parents had told me several weeks before this time that we were going to be traveling from our home in Chicago to Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, if you've ever been to Cincinnati, Ohio, it's a nice city. We had cousins that lived there at the time, but as a twelve-year-old, the only thing that mattered about going to Cincinnati was one thing, and it was not my cousins, as nice as they were. We love them. It was a place in Cincinnati. Not actually in the city of Cincinnati, but right outside in a suburb of Cincinnati. Because as a 12-year-old, the only thing that matters about Cincinnati is a place called King's Island. Now, if you just heard that phrase and that doesn't mean anything to you, think Six Flags on steroids. And so as a 12-year-old, the only thing that mattered was, yeah, my cousins, but more importantly... Kings Island and we were told by my cousin to whom we were going to visit he said now the day after you arrive we're going to get in the car and me and your brother I have a twin brother me and your brother and we're all going to go to Kings Island and we said good that's our that's our desire and so we got there at nighttime we hugged and kissed we had a little something to eat we went to bed and we got up early the next day and we got in the car with my cousin Marvin and we went to Kings Island now as you approach Kings Island in Cincinnati if you've ever been there it's a pretty typical approach. You see the park before you, before you get to the gate, right? You see the Ferris wheel. And you see the roller coaster on the edge over here. And you see that tower thing that spins around and comes back down. You see all that, and that builds your anticipation. And then you pull into the parking lot, and you choose one of the 10,000 parking spaces, and you pay at the gate the parking fee of just shy of $47,000. And you, you go in and you pick a spot. And we did all that. And we got out of our car and we went to the gate. And the gate's kind of like Six Flags, right? You go up to the gate and they do something. They transact some business. You pay the amount. They give you a ticket. I think they stamp your hand with some kind of invisible ink thing. And then you go to the gate and you go through one of those turnstiles and you enter into Six Flags, uh, Kings Island. And when we did, you not only are seeing things, you're smelling things. You're smelling popcorn. And you're smelling funnel cakes. And you're smelling hot dogs. And you're thinking, I'm in heaven. (laughs) But as a 12-year-old, the only real thing you're concerned about is not just Kings Island, but really one ride in Kings Island. Everything else is cool. But there's only one ride when you're a 12-year-old in Cincinnati going to King's Island. Because it's on the far end of where the main gate is a far end. And you kind of can see it through the woods and the, the characters and all the stuff. You kind of see it and you look and we turned to our cousin. We said, He said, Where do you want to go first? There was only one answer to that. We want to go to the beast. Yeah. <laughs> the beast. Now, if you've never been on the beast. Think about the world's greatest roller coaster and then multiply it by about a hundred. The beast was on the far corner and so we made our way, snaked our way through the various neighborhoods of Kings Island. We went by the popcorn and the hot dogs and the funnel cakes and we finally made our way to the front of the line where Kings Island was. We got there early so we thought we're going to get in quickly. And then you, th- you get to the front of the line, and there's, there's, there's this, this sign that says, from this point, it'll be about, and then the dial switches, because they change it com- compared to how long the line is. And it said, even at that hour, early hour, you can expect to wait one hour. And I looked at my brother and said, man, one hour? He said, come on, let's go. We went in the line, and it's, th- it's like a normal line. You go this way for a while, then you turn and you go this way for a while, and you make friends as you're going down through the line. Because you're seeing them every five minutes. Well, oh, hey, how are you? Turn. Oh, hey, good to see you again. And you do that for about an hour. And you finally get through all of the ropes and the stanchions. And you get all the way to this kind of covered walkway. And we got to that covered walkway. And there were some stairs inside the covered walkway. And we knew that only meant one thing. We're almost there. You know, because you go up the stairs, and you had to go up the stairs to get where the cars come in. And we got to the top of the stairs, and lo and behold, to the right was a sign. It was a sign of Yosemite Sam. I remember it. And Yosemite Sam was just standing there. Now, if you've never been on a roller coaster, Yosemite Sam may not mean anything to you. (laughs) But even I knew what that meant. That meant... In order to ride this roller coaster, you got to be the height of his hand. And so as a 12-year-old kid, we went up to the sign, and we did our best. <laughs> <laughs> and we puffed our chest out. We stood tall. I did my deal. My brother came up. He's always been a little shorter than me. <clears throat> And my cousin looked at us, he said, come on, just, just come on. We went up the stairs, and the last thing we saw before you go through one more turnstile was a uniformed uh, Kings Island person sitting on a stool holding, a, holding like this broomstick. And so we almost went through the turnstile, and we heard the guy clear his throat. Excuse me, <clears> throat> excuse me. We need to measure the height of these boys. And his broomstick had a tape Along the top of it, and it corresponded to Yosemite Sam at the bottom of the stairs. So he pulled us aside. He said, Stand tall. He took that yardstick or that broomstick and put it down, and there's that, there's that tape. My brother. There's the tape. And then he turned to my cousin, who is a full-grown adult. He said, I'm sorry. The boys can't ride this ride. My cousin went in full appeal mode. <laughs> you don't understand, sir. These boys have traveled from Chicago to go to this park to go on this ride. Please, if you can see it in your heart, let them through the turnstile. I'm sorry, sir. The boys aren't tall enough. My, I don't know how he did it. My cousin Somehow appealed to the Supreme Court, please, let these kids go on this ride. I'm sorry, they're too short. And so you didn't go through the turnstile and just kind of go out a side door. Now we have to go backwards through the line. And we're seeing the neighbors we had met. But we're going the wrong way now. And you're, where are you going? We're going to the front of the line. And you're walking back and forth, and you get to the front, and we got there, and we're so disappointed, because that's the only reason we wanted to go to King's Island. We turned to my cousin and said, that that, that stinks. I don't know what we're going to do. And then in a moment of brilliance, there really is a point to this long story. In the moment of brilliance, my cousin turned to me and my brother, and he said, listen, boys, follow me. We said, why? He said, just follow me. We walked across the courtyard that was in front of the line where the Kings Island beast line starts. We walked across this courtyard to this smaller building that had two doors. One had a a picture of a like a silhouette of a lady and one had a picture of a silhouette of a man and he said follow me and we walked into the man part and I said Marvin we don't need to use the bathroom we don't need to use the bathroom he said follow me we walked in he walked into a stall one of the big ones you know he said follow me in here we said Marvin we don't need to use the bathroom he said will you just get in the stall we walked into the stall, and when we got in the stall, he looked over at the toilet paper roll, and he wound some toilet paper on his hand. He said, here. I said, what am I going to do with this? He said, hold on. He wound some toilet paper on the hand again. Hand it to me. He said, here. We said, what are we going to do with this? He said, take the toilet paper and put it down in your shoes. <laughs> I said, Marvin, really? He said, do it. We took our shoes off, got the toilet paper, stuffed it down in there. And when we did, he said, follow me. We walked back out of the bathroom very gingerly back over to the front of the line of the beast. We started a new circuit, meeting new friends all the way through the one hour wait. We got to the base of the stairway. We went up. The person had left. Now someone new was there with the broomstick. They said, excuse me, we we need to measure the boys. We walked up to them. He said, go ahead, boys. You can be measured. We walked up. Put the broomstick there. She said, they're fine. Go ahead. Ride the beast. We rode the beast because of toilet paper. Now, I'm not suggesting you use toilet paper if you're too short. That's not what I'm suggesting. In fact, the jury's still out on how legal that was. The fact is, however, there was something in my cousin's mind that categorically would not give up. Now, again, it's a different scenario. But there's something about it in his heart and mind. There's something about things we go through in our life. And when it really gets down to it, if something is really important to us, we're not going to give up if we meet resistance. If we value something enough, we give the energy to accomplish that thing. We, we, We place ourselves in such a place where deterrence and resistance doesn't keep us from trying again, if we are as a family trying to be the kind of family that God is honored by, and we're spending time together, eating together, and uh, having conversation apart from media, and, and doing devotions, we're going to meet resistance. We are. I've never met a family, including the family of the guy speaking, who at some point hasn't met inconsistency and resistance. But the key is not if we face that, the key is what are we going to do when we face that? Because families that stay together, families that honor God, don't quit, they keep going. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. The writer says this. It's a scripture that if you've grown up in in any Christian church, you probably have heard this before. If you're new to the Bible, let me read it for you, Galatians chapter 6, and then we'll look at a couple of verses around it. He says this. The writer is a guy named Paul, and he says this in Galatians 6. Let's not get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time, We will reap a harvest of blessing, here's the qualifier, if we don't give up. Would you say that out loud with me? If we don't give up. Therefore, he goes on to say in verse 10, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Now, in order to understand Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it's important to look at the picture frame in which that scripture occurs. If you look with me for a moment at the the context, the setting of the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people who have some stuff cockeyed in their mind. If you only look at the first chapter, you get this very quickly. Paul had an issue with what they were thinking in this church that's called Galatia. In fact, he begins in the first chapter, if you have a Bible, flip over just a couple of pages or tap over on your device to Galatians chapter 1. He begins by saying some pleasant things, Paul an Apostle. He establishes his credibility with his hearers. Uh, I've come. Blessings to you. Hello, my name is Paul. And then as you go on down a little bit further, you only reach verse 6 before he says these words. He says to the Galatian church, verse chapter 1, I am astonished that you're quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul is talking to a group of people who have made the choice to add something to the message of Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus Christ is their Savior. They put their faith in Jesus, but somewhere in the translation of their experience, they thought it was necessary to add something to that. And in doing so, they dilute the simplicity of the message of Jesus. It's in that context that Paul is talking, a message which... Complicates the simple message of Jesus Christ. Their message was, the, was grace plus something else. Let me just go on record and say on Sunday morning, August 5th, what saves us is the grace of Jesus Christ plus nothing. The only reason we sit in Life Center in Essex today is because of the grace of God. If you take the grace of God away, you got an empty church. If you take the grace of God away, you have fractured families and with no hope at all. The only message that Jesus Christ proclaims to us as individuals and to us as families is the message of Jesus Christ and faith in him alone. That's why I'm so glad that every day I wake up, I can celebrate the fact, not of my own goodness, because the guy speaking is not good, but the one in whom I've placed my faith, he is always good, and he is worth the praise, and I rely on that. The Galatians had it all backwards. They were saying it was grace, and Jesus plus something else. We can see, can't we, if we add to the message of Jesus, what we're admitting is that Jesus isn't enough. As families, if we add to the simple message of the grace of Jesus, we've got it backwards. In other words, it begs this question or this statement. Don't quit, here's the first one of your notes, don't quit proclaiming the simple message of Jesus Christ to your family. In our family life, in our conversations, in our moments of teaching, in our moments of communicating truth to our children, don't quit proclaiming the simple message of Jesus Christ to your family. Now, how do we do that? That sounds what a a nice thing to say on a Sunday morning, but how do we do that? I, I think a couple things come to my mind. We control, adults, moms and dads, we control the voices that speak to our family. We control that. In other words, we don't outsource truth. Oh, that's going to be good. Preach, Pastor Todd. Preach that again. We don't outsource truth. We don't leave that to someone else to do. I I want to be kind, and I'm speaking more to myself than anybody else, but I want to speak very kindly but very uh, authoritatively. Moms and dads, we control the voices that come into our our, our child's heart. We control that, and it is our job as a family, as a leader, as a man man, or woman leading a family, to control that, to put a gate there, not in some legalistic way, but in in a way that protects our family. Why? Because the voices that come from outside of our family often will try to complicate the simple message of Jesus Christ. Some voices are going to define good differently than the way God defines good. And so we have to decide who gets the priority on that definition. We ask questions about what we're hearing. My children, I don't mean to embarrass them at all, but we have these conversations from time to time. There's times we're watching television, and something will come on, and something's said, and the guy that's speaking will say, Hold hold on a second. And we talk about what was just said. Why? Because dad's a meanie? No. But it's because I don't want that voice louder than my voice. And mom will do the same thing, and we interject in that. We're not perfect at it. Sometimes the kids don't always understand what we're doing, but there's something about proclaiming the simple message of Jesus Christ. We don't outsource that to someone else. Uh, And again, how we do this is perhaps broken down a little bit more. There are some things, some truths that I think as families are so vital for our children to get and to keep in their minds and be able to say it over and over again. Uh, I ask my children, can I grab a cordless microphone? I asked my children last night, and I'm not going to embarrass them. I'm going to ask them a question. Thank you. I asked them a question right before bed last night, and they, they didn't know I was going to ask them that question last night. In fact, it's been a while since I've asked them that question, but out of the blue, I asked them a question. I'm going to ask them what the question was so they can tell you. Now, Allie Michaela, have we talked about this moment of the service at any point right now? You didn't know this was going to happen, right? So this isn't planned. I'm not saying, hey, kids, heads up at, uh, at minute 15. Didn't happen. Michaela, what was the question I asked you last night as we were getting ready to pray? What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Boy, that sounds like a pastoral question, isn't it? <laughs> Pastor Todd, are you saying I have to ask my kids what is the gospel at night? That's what we ask. Okay. And then this young lady right here who's going to celebrate her birthday on Tuesday, she answered it. And I want her to answer what she answered last night. So the question was, what is the gospel? Here's the answer that she gave. The death, burial, and resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection. Now, did she know that as a two-year-old? Of course not. Why does she know that? Because we have talked about that over and over and over And over again. Why is that so important, Pastor Todd? Because as far as my family is concerned, and we're not the perfect family, believe me, just look at me, you can tell we're not the perfect family. But my family, what matters to us, one of the things that's the core element of our family is I want our family to understand what the gospel is. Because it's the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is that good news? Because I was forever apart from God. I couldn't do it on my own. And the only hope I had was to depend upon Jesus who was perfect in his life. And when I depend upon Jesus who was perfect, and that is the source of my salvation, that makes me right with God. God looks at me not because I'm perfect I'm a mess but he looks at me through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that makes me acceptable in God's sight I want my kids to know that so how do we proclaim the simple message of Jesus Christ we take opportunity to let them know what the important questions are in life what is the gospel how are we saved what does it mean to be a Christian what does it mean to be a Christian in the culture that we live in does that look like we take time to do that a couple of core truths let me encourage you today moms and dads and you may do this already but if you don't start today establish what are core truths in your family's life and then reinforce those over and over and over again because we transfer truth our evening prayer includes and this is the second thing that is a core truth for our family is not only what the gospel is but it's the way we end every evening prayer before we go to bed. We pray, some of you do too, with your family, if you have children with your family, with your spouse, right before we go to bed. And since they were old enough to verbalize words, we've always ended our prayers the same way every time. Literally every prayer, every time, ends with the same words. And I'm going to ask my partner in this to tell you what the last words of our prayer is. When we get done praying, we prayed about all kinds of stuff, all kinds of people, all kinds of situations. And we get to the end. And every prayer, they expect to hear these words. And when they hear these words that my wife is about to mention, we then follow that by all together saying the last phrase. Here's the words they're waiting to hear. Ready? Help us to follow you. That's what we say together. And the reason they know to say that is because who's ever leading the prayer says, and most of all key word and most of all let's say it together help us to follow you every single prayer why is that important because most of all god we want to follow you todd that's so simple it's got to be more complicated than that. no it's not jesus christ his death his burial his resurrection and then lord our desire more than anything else in life is to help us follow you. Don't quit proclaiming the simple message of Jesus Christ to your family. Secondly, don't quit seizing opportunities to teach and lead your family. Uh, Why do you say that, Pastor Todd? Keep reading in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 6. After he said, Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season we're going to reap if we don't faint. Notice verse 10. Therefore, because of this, here's the phrase, Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. In other words... There's going to be opportunity. So moms and dads, let's seize every opportunity to teach and lead our families. How do we do this? We ask God for those opportunities. Today, you have here's your homework assignment. Ready, left, Life Center? Here's the homework assignment. When we leave here today, all of us, including the guys speaking on the stage right now, let's make this our prayer. If we lead our families, let's make this our prayer. God, I believe you're omnipotent, all-powerful. I believe you know what's going to happen already on Monday, August 6th. And so this is my prayer today on Sunday. When we wake up as a family tomorrow, because you're all-knowing and all-powerful, Lord, you know how to bring about situations and opportunities for me as a dad, me as a mom, to speak into my children's lives. So God, bring those opportunities to pass. And then when that happens, don't quit seizing those opportunities. My experience, of course, is that they're not always clear-cut. God doesn't always, in fact, never, opens the sky and says, Hey, Todd, here's the opportunity. You know what you prayed about? One, two, three, go. There requires a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Something to say, this is maybe what I prayed about, and then step out of the boat And seize that opportunity. Will your kids give an eye roll? Maybe. Will they say, here he goes again? Maybe. But seize the opportunity. You know why? Because we're planting, not for right now only, but for the future. Because there's coming a day when those little ones are going to be your age. And they're going to have little ones. And something has to be transferred to them. So seize every opportunity. We believe he wants us to know him, and so we seize those opportunities. And lastly, number three, Galatians tells us to not be weary in well-doing. Proclaim the simple message of Jesus. Seize opportunities, and then don't quit giving top priority to your family. Here's the verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the last part. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. And then Paul says it this way, especially. Would everyone say the word especially? Especially. To those in the family of faith. You catch what he did? He prioritized to the hearer. Do good to everybody. Proclaim the simple message of Jesus. And especially to those in the family of faith. Same guy. Different book. Different audience. First Timothy chapter 5. He says this. Same writer. If anyone doesn't provide for his relatives. And here's the word again. Especially for members of his household. He's denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Moms and dads, this is serious business we're talking about. Especially, don't quit giving top priority to your family. I wrote in my notes this, and I'll end with this phrase. Someone's going to get top place in our life. We control who that is. Somebody. Some person. Some voice is going to get top spot in our life. And in our family's life, we control who that is. Now, I end with a hard truth. We're going to fall short sometimes on this, right? Now, I know in Essex I've been told that dads and moms are perfect, but not in Hunt Valley. (laughs) Not in Lutherville. And so we're going to fall short. The people with whom you worship today are, like me, imperfect Moms and dads, imperfect family leaders, imperfect children. And so, when that happens and we fall in short, what should we do? Here's the short answer. You ready? Put your seatbelt on because it's going to be deep. Here it is. Don't quit. Here's the backstory of that question last night in prayer. And I, and I, I again, my kids didn't know I was going to say this part right here, but they nailed me good time, big time last night. When I turned to them in a moment of brilliance and I said, hey, kids, what's the gospel? And they said correctly, praise God, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the backstory that you didn't see. That sounds good for a pastor to say that, right? You know what one of my kids said? They said, Dad, you haven't asked us that in two years. (laughs) The pillar of faith. Smack dab in reality. Guess what the most important of that thing about that whole exercise was? The question was asked. Don't quit. Dad, when you ask them some things, they're going to look at you funny, especially if it's been two years. They're going to wonder if something's a little bit strange, especially if it's been a while. When you say to your children, kids, we're going to do this and not this. And they're very wise. They see stuff. And they're trying to compute. But what about that? I saw that. And now you're coming and saying this? Here's the answer and the way to deal with that. Don't quit. I might as well just get real candid with you. Some of y'all don't struggle with this, but the other day, I didn't argue very well with my wife. Again, y'all don't disagree. We do sometimes, and it wasn't her fault, it was my fault. And you know what happened? It was right when we were leaving, when they were leaving to go somewhere. Isn't that always the case? Has anyone ever gotten an argument with your loved one on the way to church? They were on their way out the door, and we were arguing about something that was ultimately pretty inconsequential. Isn't that the case most times? We were arguing about it, and I was right. Or so I thought. But I was right in such a wrong way. And my children were walking out the door to go on that errand with my wife. And when they left, and it's just me in the house, you know the routine, right? That was great, Todd. Good job. Well done. started to beat myself up. Here's what I know is going to happen. There's going to come a point, because my children are children, because my family's family, there's going to come a point at some point in the next several weeks, months, years, when I'm going to have to turn to my children and tell them to watch their tone. Every family goes through that. And embedded in that is going to be the memory in their mind of a dad who at one point didn't watch his tone. But the greatest thing I can do as a dad is ask the one that I've offended to forgive me, which we did. To turn to my children if necessary and ask them to forgive me for being that kind of tone with their mother. And then don't quit. Tell them what they need to hear. See, parenting is not a perfect thing. But parents who persist and are faithful and don't quit, that's what God's looking for. Don't be weary in well-doing. If you've failed in this area, if you've not even started e- exercising the most important things in your family, don't get tired of doing what's right. Start. Repeat. Ask for forgiveness. Do that right thing again. And here's what'll happen. If we do that, the writer says, we will eventually reap a harvest. How? If we don't give up. There's coming a day when we're going to reap. So plant well. If necessary, dig again and plant again. Don't give up. Have you listened today to other voices, yourself personally, about your salvation, by the way? Have there been voices that have tried to tell you that there's something beyond just Jesus for your salvation? Can I just with boldness today as a pastor come before you and say, don't listen to that voice. Listen to the voice of Jesus Christ who comes to us and he says, the message is very close to us. In fact, it's on our lips and in our heart. Here's the message, the very message of faith that we preach. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. If you've trusted in other voices in addition to Jesus, can I encourage you today before you leave, make your foundation sure. Begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and him alone. There are people here today, prayer team members, that are going to help you pray that kind of prayer and help you accentuate the simplicity of the gospel. If you're a family member and you're a mom or a dad especially, maybe some of us need to intentionally decide to enter into the arena of leading our family in such a way that we really major on what really matters. Today, do that. If that's your first time, do it as a family member. Some of us need to intentionally rekindle that in our life. We need to seek out forgiveness and then start up again despite the resistance. Don't quit, do that today.